You're listening to the Florida Bar Podcast, brought to you by the Florida Bar's Practice Resource Center, Legal Fuel, produced by the broadcast professionals of the Florida Bar. Welcome to the Florida Bar's Legal Fuel Podcast, brought to you by the Practice Resource Center of the Florida Bar. We're so glad you're joining us. This is Carla Eckhart, Senior Practice Management Advisor at the Florida Bar and one of the hosts of the show, which is being recorded from our studio in Tallahassee, Florida. Our goal at the Practice Resource Center is to assist Florida attorneys with running the business side of their law practices. We focus on a different topic each month and carry the theme through our website with related tips, videos, and articles. So to get started, we are going to be talking about remote and hybrid work arrangements, which are not new concepts for law firm managers. However, the pandemic resulted in more firms acknowledging that remote and hybrid models do actually work and are worth investing in long term. According to a recent American lawyer survey, 80% of firms have completed or are currently developing formal assessments of roles and individual workers to see if they were eligible for full remote work in perpetuity beyond the pandemic. Today, we will be discussing the benefits and challenges of working from home, but more importantly, we will be discussing tips and best practices that will assist our members in implementing remote and hybrid work from home policies. Joining us today are Garima Goswami, author of Laya's ebook, Tips for Managing Remote and Hybrid Law Firms, and Andreas Becker, who was an essential contributor to the development and publication of the ebook. Laya, now part of Clio, is a document automation solution for legal professionals. Grima is the content manager at Laya. She is in charge of studying the current state and upcoming trends within the legal industry and creating content based on the findings. Previously, she worked as a content marketer in the finance automation industry, focusing prominently on the digital payment sector, led crisis management and communication projects, and worked as a journalist for print media before transitioning to SaaS marketing. Andreas is the director of business development at Laya at Clio. He has spent the last three and a half years working closely with thousands of legal professionals across the country to help streamline their practices. Prior to Laya, Andreas practiced for several years as a personal injury and real estate attorney. He received his JD from the University of San Francisco School of Law and a BA in legal studies from the University of California, Santa Barbara. Welcome to the show, Garima and Andreas. Thank you. Thank you Thank for the you. introduction. Absolutely. That was a long-winded one. You guys do a lot. <laughs> um, so let's jump right in. In the ebook, you mentioned early on that the pandemic sparked a substantial increase in technology adoption among a cohort who dutifully resisted the onset of digitization at least a decade longer than many other professional service sectors. So out of curiosity, what do you think made the legal industry so resistant to leveraging technology? Ooh, good question. Um, Grima, you want me to take this one? Yeah, or, sure. We, I may it. think we'll both have, have thoughts yeah, on this. Go but for it. I've always seen law as kind of one of the last vestiges of the, the old guard. I think things are definitely changing. Um, but I think people, it's just a very traditional industry. And the care that it takes and some of the studying that you do, you know, they don't really teach you how to be a business person in law school. Um, they teach, you know, it's the study of law. And so I think there has been some resistance to more of these technology, you know, innovations because so much was grounded in 
well, you know, the output is really just the experience that I have. And I've done fine for myself and I built this firm up without all of these tools. And uh, <laughs> that, that, that feels like what, what it's traditionally been. And the, the space itself seems to be getting younger, but I don't think it's a matter of necessarily age. Um, you know, I think what we found during the pandemic was it was certainly an accelerant, but I think there weren't really the tools around in the way that there were tools around in other industries as well. I think, you know, even 10 years ago, I might still be practicing if I was more aware of, you know, more modern tools like Clio and LawYaw and, and other tools around that would have helped my practice and kind of rounded me out to think more like a, a business owner who happened to own a firm or work at a firm as opposed to the other way around. Absolutely. And, and we noticed that too with our callers and our members. Um, so we do have an aging membership, you know, a, a large majority of our members are um, older, but like you said, it, it's, it's not entirely about age. And, you know, when we do have, you know, do outreach to law schools, one of the main comments we always get is, you know, they don't learn how to run the business. And then that's what we're here for. And that's why we invite guests like yourselves to sort of guide our members um, with these topics, because it's, you know, the technology's out there. And, and it's just, it's beautiful that finally, they're seeing the light. Yeah, I, I also just want to add there, there's also a big part that clients before COVID, there was no such um, exposure to technology. But and it's not just the legal industry. It's not just the legal clients that are now getting this exposure to, to technology, but like even online shopping or if they're paying their finances, online banking, everything is now tech-based. So um, in their personal lives, they're using it so much that this transition to um, using technology for legal aid is becoming more normalized. Like, you know, push comes to shove and then suddenly you're open to learning these new technologies. Whether So like also in-house um teams that are using um, technology within within the firm, but also clients that are using them in their personal spaces and then obviously getting acclimatized to it and welcoming it when they're using it for legal stuff. Absolutely. And I think Jack Newton and his client-centered law firm book called it the Uberization of legal services or something like that. Um, and, and I think that's true. People just expect, you know, one-click options now and they don't want to send you a check to pay for their legal services invoice. They want to be able to pay online. They want to be able to see edits to the documents that you're preparing for them. Um, so it's, it's, it's on both sides. And I, I think it's a wonderful thing. And I, I, I love that you guys prepared uh, this ebook for uh, your users and for members at large because it really brings into focus exactly what it is that is happening uh, within the legal industry. I mean, I, I pulled up a statistic earlier. 80% of law firms are considering this in perpetuity. It's not, it's not a temporary arrangement for COVID. Um, so thank you again. And let's let's jump into the guide and and sort of the the meat and potatoes of what went into the guide and what information is in there. So you discussed some work from home advantages that law firms have experienced over the last few years that perhaps made them reconsider their stance on remote work. Can you talk to our speakers a little bit about what those advantages are? Um, 100%. So I mean, 
having being used to a certain way of working at a law firm and then suddenly having all those um, work habits taken away from you where you can't go and knock on someone's door and ask for a file or go to your accountant and ask that, hey, has this client paid yet? So now suddenly working from home, um, it's a change of habit, it's a change of culture, and it's a change of routine. Um, when remote work, or rather when COVID kicked in um, and working from home, there was a lot of overworking happening, um, not just in legal industry, but like in other industries as well. You know, we don't have the tools um, that we need that we had earlier on, and we're inventing our own um, our own routines. So, and they may not be formalized. A lot of them are like you know, um, emailing an invoice, for example, or emailing something um, sensitive, a client sensitive information to another coworker, which may not be the best platform to um, share. So, a lot of these kind of contributed to law firms and other industries as well, of course, taking um, a serious stance on formalizing these um, structures, formalizing tools to um, to solidify data security, to um, solidify um, practices where we communicate with clients, communicate amongst each other, um, and sort of get those habits in. Absolutely. And, and I love that you also mentioned that there's a financial savings um, you know, because a lot of firms, for a lot of firms, it comes down to the bottom line. Um, so you, you mentioned $4,000 in savings per year in travel, parking and associated costs, 11 days or more of time without commute. Uh, employers save up to 11,000 annually per employee due to increased productivity. Um, never mind the real estate costs. So, you know, a lot of law firms have been able to scale back on their, uh, footprint because they no longer need uh, so much space in order to get things done. And in fact, I was reading an article yesterday that Christine, uh, our host, a uh, podcast host, sent to me, and it discussed renegotiating your leases at this point in time because the pandemic induced an oversupply of commercial space. Um, so there's there's just so many benefits. Of course, there there are there are disadvantages, and we'll get to those. But so many benefits, and I and I think in Florida in particular, there was a bit of chaos because there's this myth that you must have a brick and mortar office, um, and I don't know where that came from. And maybe you know a few decades ago that was the case in the rules regulating the Florida bar. But so many attorneys called us early on saying. What do you mean I can work from home? How? You know, don't I need a, you know, office space? And, you know, we would always cite the location of practice rule in the rules regulating the Florida bar, and we'll link to those. Um, but it's 4 7.12a. And it, it really just says, sure, you can have a virtual space. You can have a space where you just meet people for, uh, you know, in-person meetings, but you can have a virtual space. Now, if you are going to have a physical office, here are the requirements, but there's never anywhere where it says you must have a physical office. So I think there was a lot of confusion at first with our members, but yeah, there, there's so many benefits and cost savings um, when it comes to uh, employees and employees taking fewer days off, I think is another savings in, in productivity. You know, you, you have fewer people that have to take off because they have a 
a cold, you know, they can work through a cold, you know, not, not saying that people should be forced to work <laughs> sick. Careful. <laughs> I'm, not, yeah. I'm not, I'm not encouraging people to work when they're super ill, but you know what I mean? I mean, people will, will take less time off. Um, so, so many benefits. And I, again, I appreciate you including all those statistics in your ebook. And, and the number, the number that you came, that you found Grima $11,000 annually per employee, when you put in, you know, together, Increased productivity, reduced rent, less turnover, fewer sick days. The really interesting one is this wider talent pool. Um, because, you know, when you had a physical space and you had to be in, you know, every day, if a paralegal left or an attorney left or what have you, and you need to go out and you're in a certain practice area and you need to replace them, um, with someone of, you know, that particular caliber, you were very limited geographically and increasingly we're just seeing people, you know, law was always built to be remote. So we had engineers, we were hiring all over the place. You can do that in a legal practice. Now you can find an experienced paralegal that, you know, knows a general practice area or, you know, an adjacent practice area and that can follow, you know, simple instructions. And if you have various softwares in place to enable those workflows, you're not limited to that immediate geography where um, the competition, you know, may be heightened and the resources or, or availability is more scarce. So people can be a little bit more selective about the people that they want to go, um, you know, employ in terms of a good fit for their firm. And very often, you know, they're, you don't have to get someone in San Francisco where it's extremely expensive, you could go somewhere else. Um, so that's a, a, a trend that we're seeing quite a bit as well. Yeah, that's a great point. It attracts um, talent, helps retain talent. And also on the other side, clients, you can target you know, a much larger pool of clients rather than being limited to your geography. That's a great um, point. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so those were the advantages. There are many, probably some we didn't even cover, but now let's talk about some of the disadvantages. So one of the major hurdles um, that we've seen and, and read about to adopting work from home policies seems to be uh, in terms of IT security, not just costs, but also implementation. And we recently put together a technology symposium at our annual convention. And one of the speakers was actually a special agent with the FBI's cyber task force. And one of the main takeaways was that law firms are attractive targets. They have a, they maintain a wealth of confidential information and that it was not a matter of when, um, but, or not a matter of when, but if a firm will get hacked or the opposite, not a matter of if, but when. Yes. Um, and the ABA formal opinion 483, I believe, states something similar that uh, the law enforcement officials generally categorize business entities into two separate categories, those that have been hacked and those that will be hacked. Um, so what are some specific IT related uh, issues law firms have faced when looking to adopt work from home policies You know that you've noticed? Agreement. If you want to share some things just yeah. based on your, your general overview, and I can um, lay a little bit more uh, context on that. Sounds good. Um, I was going to say, I'm not surprised that legal industry is one which is heavily or one of the top targeted industries um, because it's so traditional and it's known that it's so traditional. You know, a lot of the work is on paperwork. A lot of the work is on computer. They don't have um, ID officers hired. They're, I'm not sure if that's an official position for a lot of companies or a lot of firms rather. So I'm not surprised by that, by that data at all. Um, 
it can be, if you're looking at this in terms of pros and cons, um, it can be a con because if it's not done correctly, you know, um, if you're if you're working remotely and if you haven't formalized um, tools and processes where people can exchange information, can collaborate amongst each other through those formalized um, pathways, then 100% it, it is um, a risk to the um, confidentiality, data sensitivity, and everything else that comes within that umbrella. Um, it's, it's why it's important to have um, these processes in place where you say that, okay, if you're exchanging client information, it has to be done through a platform, um, a client collaboration platform or internal collaboration platform. It cannot be any other um, process. Training um, employees to use those is um, highly important, of course. Um, and then... Y- Another way to tackle this is by, if you don't want to hire a full-time IT employee, you can um, have a consultant come in that takes a look at your practices, takes a look at your data, and can recommend you the best platform based on the volume of data you exchanged, based on the um, kind of information that you share. Um, and they can, and you can take in those advices and just have them come in every six months to look at your data or quarter, however um, it works best for you. Yeah, and I think... Um you know, it, it took enough just to get attorneys into, you know, understanding servers and, you know, everything was just, has traditionally been on premises. So moving off premises creates a lot of concern for, for attorneys. We're just risk averse by nature. Uh, the types of, of data that we're handling is, is typically some of the most sensitive. Um, so anything from just general HIPAA compliance to the different levels of encryption to, you know, what types of password securities are we talking about? Are people accessing software? on their personal devices? Do they have something that's actually been approved and issued by the firm itself that creates a lot of different gray areas and potential risks? When, or before the pandemic, but, you know, when I first started at Law, yeah, we were, we were a cloud-based uh, court form and document automation platform. I would say cloud-based to someone. And in many instances, it would be a non-starter. It would just be, I don't want to have anything to do with that. I don't even know what that term really means, but I feel like it's dangerous. And so then we kind of go with web-based, which was a little bit more familiar, but still had a lot of um, people, you know, rightfully raising concerns because they weren't educated. And that's not their that's not their fault. It was just kind of new software. And when the pandemic hit, people seemed to you know, it was that accelerant. People needed to educate themselves and they understood some of the protocols and, you know, who are the best service providers? Where are the servers located? Are they redundant? That sort of thing. You don't have to get into that level of detail necessarily, but I think increased adoption creates a lot of, you know, awareness, obviously, but also puts people at ease a little bit. You know, if a firm has, you know, across the street has started or one of your colleagues has adopted a new software and they've gone through the audits and they've said, yeah, this is cleared. Um, as those softwares grow, uh, there's there's more acceptance. But it was definitely a major concern and, and continues to be a concern, even if you have all of those processes documented and you have the right softwares in place. There's always there's always risks out there, either for you know a hack of some sort, um, or for you know communications being made outside one of your preferred channels. I think the the danger is that a lot of these 
on-premises uh, setups, they're also pretty vulnerable themselves. Um, so, you know, a lot of people find there to be benefit from kind of offloading those IT concerns onto these vendors who have gone through all the due diligence to build a product that is going to meet um, the expectations, not only of their clients, but of, uh, you know, the various laws attendant to doing business in this industry. Absolutely. And and I love that you brought up that e- even if you have everything in place, something can still happen. You know, there could still be some kind of IT issue or data breach. And in the ebook, you reference a 2021 study by the ABA um, that said 64% of respondents don't have an incident response plan to combat a data breach. And I think um, that that's a that's a huge thing because again, like the FBI says, and like the ABA opinion says, it's not a matter of one, but if um, you will get hacked or maybe not hacked, but have some kind of IT related issue. Um, so to not have an incident response plan in place um, is sort of a, a, a failure from the get go. Um, so I think that's important. And, and I would like our members to look into that more and research that more because again, even if it's not a, a malicious actor, it could be, you know, we're in Florida. It could be a hurricane that completely brings down your practice. If you don't have something in place to be prepared to access your data securely and to be able to serve your clients in a safe manner, um, then that could ruin you. So I think that's that's a huge uh, hurdle that we have to overcome as an industry um, in order to continue on with, you know, this remote and hybrid work. And then it's something that can be done even uh, in a DIY kind of way. So now, you know, that kind of leads into my next question. What are some DIY solutions that perhaps some solo and small firms that don't have uh, an IT budget at all um, can implement in order to keep sort of safe, uh, their information safe and confidential, um, that they can purchase at very low cost or for free. Who knows? hundred <laughs> percent. Um, like, I think there are a few practices that without spending a ton of money, without spending a ton of time on it, um, firms can adopt and, um, and relay the information to their staff. I would, to start off, I would say like, 100% have staff abstain from using um, informal or personalized pathways to exchange information. Um, firms can hold workshops, you know, security learning workshops for their teams once um, three months or six months um, to just go through what are the best practices? What is What should you not be using? You should not be um, sending information via email, um, clients sensitive information via email. Um, we have these pathways that you can use. Um, another, another way is to just train employees to look for signs of scams. So, um, for example, if it's a phishing scam, you can say you can ask them to look at emails carefully. If it comes from someone like if Andrea sends me an email, for example, and I see that the grammar doesn't quite look right, or he doesn't normally ask me to send um, some sensitive information in um, such a within to send it within minutes. Um, so having employees trained on identifying signs of scams, um, helping them understand what not to do, what channels not to use um, when exchanging information. Um, and also just reviewing how employees are using, um, co- collaborating and com- communicating amongst each other are ways that um, firms can start off when um, 
trying to just enhance their IT practices. Yeah, having, having firm processes in place and how to escalate something. You know, if you see something, not make a huge deal of it in turn, but just like, hey, this came this way. I just want to make sure that this is okay. We get phishing scams for, for sure. Every company gets phishing scams. Like you said, it's not a matter of if, it's when. You know, it'll be someone will get something from me that says Andreas Beck at lawyaw.com and lawyaws spelled differently. And people just don't notice little things like that, but it'll come from a, a URL or a, an IP address that you, you you think that you recognize. And there's just something a little about it. So, I mean, something like wait, what Grima said, you know, if you get something from, you know, one of your colleagues that looks uh, a little bit informal for them or uh, kind of out of their usual style of, uh, of communicating, it's usually a good tip to, to take a, a closer look, maybe not even click into it if it looks a, a little bit risky. Um, but like Raymond said, it's a lot of it can just be done, you know, doing a, a quick self audit of how you think your systems and the documentation that you have from an escalation standpoint, there's a lot of self-help resources online as well. And I'm sure the Florida bar association, all these different bar associations, um, have some guides that can, can help, um, particularly smaller practices who don't have a dedicated person reviewing all of this stuff, um, you know, kind of spot check for, for areas of particular risk. Yeah. And now that you said that for our members listening, uh, legalfield.com, go visit, <laughs> find some tech information, Look at that contact, contact <laughs> us. Yeah, you, you made that one easy for me. What a plug. Very subtle. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's so many things, VPNs, you know, you want to encourage your, uh, attorneys and paralegals not to join the McDonald's Wi-Fi, Um, <laughs> but if they must, <laughs> Use a VPN. Um, password vaults. You know, a lot of people want to have the same password, you know, their dog's name and their birth year or something like that. Uh, we've seen how that goes. That's terrible. Um, you know, there's a reason for complicated passphrases or even simple passphrases that make no sense to anybody but you. Um, and you don't have to remember them all. I, I really kind of get frustrated when members call and say, ah, that's too many passwords. I, I can't mm -hmm. remember all these passwords. No one's asking you to remember the passwords. Um, they just need to be different. So password vaults are also ex less expensive tools. Um, and this probably is more expensive, but there are companies out there that will literally purposefully fish your employees. They will send emails and they will put your employees to the test to see who clicks on what. And again, that that's all something you can do as, as part of your training. And, and it's worth looking into because a, a lot of it, I think, is a perceived uh, sort of fear and, and, you know, of high costs and expenses. And some of these services are not necessarily that expensive, even when they're outsourced. So even if you don't have a huge budget, it may still be worth looking into. Don't be discouraged just because it looks like a fancy IT security company, they may still offer services for small businesses. And again, those are all over the place and it's worth looking into them and researching them and using their resources um, to help you maintain data security. The, the need is there. The need is definitely there. So exactly. there are, you know, enterprise class type IT solutions. And there are plenty of just almost more consumer facing, very inexpensive um, kind of first level solutions that will do a ton, you know, that are totally worth it. So yeah, something as simple as a password vault, one password, you know, mm -hmm. I can never remember my passwords. And until I got one password, um, that was a huge time saver for me. 
Yeah. And a lot of times, like um, you said, it's the fear of the unknown. And um, I also want to quickly, a quick tip would be like using influencers within your staff. Like there are people that can drive change within your firm. And if you know that who that person is, you can have this person train the rest of the employees, have them use as your guinea pig that, um, hey, I've been using password security walls and um, we've seen so-and-so results. But like explaining the process, explaining the results, using an influencer within your company, within your firm to have everyone else follow these procedures is, is going to be, it's going to make it easy for everyone else to follow, um, follow suit. Absolutely. I think I think I'm one of those influencers in our group. <laughs> I'm constantly pushing new things on our group. And, and again, it works. Um, but now that we're talking about tools, what are some popular tech tools generally, not necessarily about data security, that all firms should consider when transitioning to remote and hybrid arrangements? And, you know, you can mention law, y'all, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, I think, you know, if we're, if we're talking about just like the, the legal industry in general, um, modern practice management softwares, and there are a variety of them out there, full disclosure, um, Law Yaw was purchased by Clio, Clio. Um, in, <laughs> in September 2021. We've worked very closely with them, but the, the vast majority of our users are not Clio users. Um, but having something that's cloud-based so it's easily accessible to you know, all of your staff, that's going to be something key that you want to look for. And, you know, depending on the practice management solution, they may have um, some embedded tools um, or they may just have a lot of different integrations. If you're going to go with a, a tool that has more integrations, um, you want to just make sure that, you know, they're uh, that you're comfortable with the audits that they do with their the different providers that they um, sign up with. But, you know, practice management in general, you're going to be talking about, you know, billing is the first thing that comes to people's mind. You really kind of want to get close to, uh, you know, what's driving the business is the revenue. Well, you can't collect the revenue unless you're billing correctly. So you want to make sure that you have a, a more modern practice management software. Um, all sorts of task management tools exist. Again, many of them are embedded in a, in a traditional practice management software, but there's some that are really well suited to, you know, all they do is task management and maybe more user friendly than, than some of the things that you're seeing that are very legal specific. So they're, they're a mix of those types of tools on the, you know, automation side of things, you know, that's, that's the, uh, pool that we play in. Um, so you want to think about tools that are going to ease collaboration, particularly with respect to the production of work products. So, you know, we have a, a tool that allows you to automate the drafting of court forms and allows different members of the team to, you know, prepare a draft, have someone come in, review it, make some edits really easily. And this is all happening online. So you're not emailing PDFs or Microsoft Word documents back to each other. Um, so those are a couple, you know, obviously like an e-sign tool of some sort. Um, those are those are some of the more popular uh, tools that you definitely would want to focus on. Yeah, I, I agree um, 100% with Andreas there. There's so many out there. And if firms are lost on what they should adopt first, um, we recently did this um, ebook on process optimization. And one of the findings that came up is that... Um, or not a finding, but one of the one of the recommendations is that if you're stuck and you don't know where to start, look at where the biggest bottlenecks are. If it's if your employees are lost in communication, if information isn't passing through as smoothly as it should, if things are taking a, a long time, um, then look at a com communication tool, um, something like Slack. Or if um, you're having trouble communicating with clients, um, something like Zoom would be another tool to um, 
Zoom or Google Meet, something like that would be another tool to sort of, you know, um, simplify those bottlenecks. So look at which process are taking longer, where the biggest bottlenecks are, where, where is the most confusion, um, and target those areas first within your firm. The, the communication thing is huge. Slack yeah. or, or Microsoft Teams, I've increasingly, you know, heard from law firms, they they just can't believe they didn't have these types of tools before. And it's good to have them just internally, regardless of whether you're in an office or not, but how much, how quickly they expedite communications as opposed to emailing things back and forth. Um, Zoom, obviously, but, you know, there are other little things, you know, if people are working from home, you know, with the pandemic, it wasn't necessarily by choice. People don't necessarily have like a really nice home office setup. So they're, they're technology solutions, but there's also like an allowance for a comfortable chair. You know, maybe you should have two screens. I mean, the amount of people who I saw who were only working off of a laptop or just one screen, like the productivity um, that you gain from having just one additional screen is, is massive. An updated laptop, you know, if you're running new softwares, there might be a little bit more of a load on a, on a laptop. You should probably, you know, kind of take account of the, the age and the functionality of some of the, the, you know, the key tool that your employees are going to be using. And it may feel like, you know, that is, that is a, a, a big, expenditure, but the productivity is always what we're kind of gauging things against um, or, or the, the impact that it's going to have. So I, I think they're definitely software solutions we want to be looking at, but we also want to just think about the general people solutions that we need to make people feel comfortable and, and feel empowered when they're working remotely. Absolutely. And I think, uh, like you mentioned, it is a big expenditure. Um, we've had a lot of members contact us and asking us if, you know, they can buy essentially, uh, you know, these education level laptops. Like, can I, I won't name names of which brand, but they are essentially toy laptops. And we have to tell them eh, security wise, that's probably not the best uh, piece of technology you want to invest in. It's cheap now, but it might get expensive later. Um, so it, it is quite an investment to, uh, you know, have to purchase new hardware. But in the end, like you said, it increases productivity and, you know, your billable hours may go up. These expenditures may ultimately pay for themselves um, in the long run. So it, it's worth looking into uh, as part of your IT security budget uh, to look into better hardware as well. And of course, you know, comfortable chairs are a plus. Comfortable chairs are a plus. <laughs> and I mean, if, if people are, and this is on average, obviously that $11,000 per employee. So that's not what every firm is, is experiencing, but there are cost savings that are, that are being realized. And those cost savings um, should be reinvested in making sure that people are as comfortable as possible and, and feel like they have the tools necessary to succeed if they're not going to be in the office. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what are some tips for ensuring teams are on board with new processes. And we kind of talked about this uh, previously, but, you know, what tech tools should the firm uh, perhaps try and deploy or how should they deploy certain tools uh, within a firm before uh, completely adopting them, uh, you know, firm-wide? Because I, I think that's that's a fear too. A lot of times you'll you'll have that influencer that maybe is already open to adopting a particular tool, but it's a little harder to convince the law firm managers to get on board. So how does that process work within a firm? So I think there are certain 
tools and Karima jump in whenever I'm saying something <laughs> that you would like to add more color with or, or absolutely disagree with. Um, I think there are certain essential processes um, when you're moving to remote work that, you know, your employees are expecting you to lead and you always want to start by gathering input, but there are certain things that you're just going to need to be, make a decision on. Um, with, with that said, you know, if you're going to move to a new practice management software, if you're going to move to a document automation tool, if you're going to move to Slack or Teams or a new document management tool, um, it really helps to solicit feedback from your team um, if there are different options in the market. Like if there's only one place that if you know that this is what you want to go with and this is the direction, then that's that's fine. But the earlier that you can get your team on board, not just with the decision-making process, but really kind of involving them in the in the why. Why are we doing this? A lot of people just start with the, what are we going to get and you know, how is it going to be implemented? But getting buy-in in terms of why we want to make this move, why... I as a business owner, we as the collective business owners want to support this and want to invest in this. Um, you know, the most important thing is that people feel heard, honestly. And um, if you give people an outlet to to hear those concerns, then even if you have to make a decision that some people may not necessarily agree with, you've gone a long way to get their input in terms of some of the concerns they may have, some of the feedback they may have if they tried the tool out, if you did a trial period for some uh, for some of these softwares, and then you know give a little bit extra attention. Um, in those areas where people may have found a process a little bit different. It, everyone's minds work a, a little bit different. A lot of these practice management softwares, they're definitely differentiators, but it's just the way that they lay out on the screen sometimes. People just like, we're just very different people sometimes, but everything can be brought back into alignment as long as you're gathering input and your team feels like you are not making, you know, every decision, you know, without, you know, without any interest in their feedback and, and what's going to be best for them. That's a, that's a great point. It has to be a two-way road. It cannot be, you cannot dictate changes and um, expect everyone to um, jump on board and get on the process. Like it's start by illustrating the need for change. You know, why are we doing what we're doing and what is the data that backs up? You can say we're wasting so and so many hours per month on doing this process, which is why we're introducing this new tool. Um, and then when you're evaluating software that you want to implement, have employees come in Sit in the um, sit in the evaluation of the software. If someone's doing a demo, have employees come in, sit on those demos, and see whether or not they're happy with it, uh, whether or not it sits within their comfort level. Are they happy to adopt it? How easy it is to use? How easy it is to implement? And also to scale as your company scales. Does it support the data um, scaling that you have at your firm? So all of those things, and make it a two way street. Like have feedback come in, and obviously give feedback um, as well to to the employees that are going to be using it. Absolutely. And, and you know, it kind of ties in and, and we'll talk more about the client facing side in a little bit, but knowing your technology, I mean, just throwing a new piece of software at someone isn't going to benefit anybody. Um, so working through the problems, working through the issues or why some things work better than others, I think is is a huge uh, benefit to the organization as a whole. Because otherwise, if you only have one person test it, um, like Andrea said, 
you know, our minds all work differently. Like we often get calls from members saying, well, just tell me which practice management software I should be using. And we always tell them, uh, no, <laughs> we can't do that because, you know, if, if we just list the features or the functionalities of these programs, they may all look the same. Um, but when you actually get into the individual platforms, you're going to see that they, the, the workflows are set up differently. The, 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 for some people, it comes down to the color, um, you know, so you have to feel comfortable looking at this piece of software every day, all day. So which one do you prefer? It doesn't matter which one I prefer. I can tell you which ones I prefer, but you know, for example, I love accounting. So if it's an accounting heavy, uh, platform, I'm in. Um, but some people don't like accounting, so they don't want accounting, you know, melded in. They'd rather have their bookkeeper or uh, accountant deal with QuickBooks on the side and not ever look at anything having to do with accounting. So I get that. But I, I love that you mentioned um, that, you know, that you have to feel comfortable with the piece of software that you're going to be using and that just telling people and mandating that a certain piece of software be used um, without that feedback can be problematic. But also, like you said, there are some that just must be done because, you know, they must be done. Um, so thank you for that. Um, let's talk about collaboration um, and uh, sort of keeping a collaborative and engaging work environment. So many firms have struggled with transitioning from in-person to virtual. And, and a lot of it has to do with in-person processes being just kind of dumped into a virtual environment without proper uh, change or, or proper tweaking to fit a virtual environment. And as a result, uh, staff development has suffered. Um, nonetheless, the majority of staff still prefer hybrid, hybrid work schedules. So, you know, if a firm wants to retain its talent, you have to consider remote work, but you have to consider it in a way that works for you. So what are some ways firms can cultivate inclusion, promote employee engagement in a remote or hybrid settings? One of the things I would definitely recommend is instead of, again, going back to the previous point, instead of imposing practices of inclusivity, ask how is it that employees wish to be um, wish to participate with remote work and collaborate amongst each other. Um, if it's about if it's about because if you're going remote, then obviously the culture of the company is changing. You know, you were you're going from physical spaces to now remote spaces. But how do you keep the culture of the firm? How do you stick to the mission of the firm and have everyone enthusiastic about it while they are working from home is going to be a challenge, which is why it's important to invite employees in. Like, what is it that you guys want to do? Um, what is it that's missing? Do you want to have more... Um, Virtual lunches. Do you want to have more um, game nights, um, virtual game nights um, on Slack, for example? And then having dedicated channels for people to relate their problems, their challenges is another area that tends that people tend to forget. Like, you know, it's not just about having those happy spaces, but also having spaces where people can be comfortable enough, staff can be comfortable enough to share that their challenges with their managers or a dedicated HR person or whatever um, a role there is where they can they can pass on those um, conversations is, is equally important. I, I, I totally agree. And, you know, offsites, if it, if it can be um, accommodated, I, I'm in the Toronto office. I, I'm based in San Francisco. I'm visiting some of the people that like Garima and I have never met in person. <laughs> I'm visiting people who I've been working with for 
a year or longer who I, I'm meeting for the first time. And there's so much that's gained from at least just a little bit of in-person time. And yes, I'm in the office, but even, you know, going out and getting lunch or, you know, having like going to afterwards and going to a happy hour or, or whatever people are going to feel most comfortable with. I mean, there's so much gained, especially if people are, you know, if you've got new employees who are coming in and, and this is a pre- predominantly remote role, making time for in-person events and, you know, not having it mandated, but hoping that people understand that this is, uh, it's important to have some of that in-person um, interaction because so much is lost even on, even on Zoom when you can see people. Um, so I, I think making time for that and, and ensuring that people have a, a proper work life balance and that, you know, there are, you're giving yourself time during the day to do deep work and that you're, you know, cutting yourself off or letting people know that I'm going to be busy from here to here. You know, it's very easy to just get a Slack message well after work hours. And I think you want to, the the flip side of what you're asking is to ensure that there is a, a, a healthy kind of cutoff and, and distinction between work and life. It's, it's, it's very easy to fall into a pit of, you know, you roll out of bed and you're immediately on the clock. You know, right. there, there's, there's studies about people, they take time to prepare during their commute to work and then to decompress afterwards before they hit home. And that, that time, even if it's like 15 minutes, that time's been completely lost. So people, you know, they're, it's very hard to distinguish between what is home and personal time and what is work time. Absolutely. And, and, you know, we see this with Zoom, like people get Zoom fatigue because it's so easy to set up back to back Zoom meetings and people think, oh, no big deal. You're, you're at home. You're hanging out with your dog. You know, it's, it's, you're not tired of that. You can't be overworked. Um, so how, you know, going a little further into it, how can firms enforce sort of that balance and sort you know, make sure that their employees are not connected around the clock? Ooh, good question. <laughs> I don't know if any of our managers are going to be listening. Um, I wonder if any of mine are going to be listening. I, th- I think a really good one, um, just in terms of like Zoom meetings, is it's good to turn your camera off sometimes. Like it's not mandatory if this is an internal meeting. You are not meant to be engaged like this. Like if you're thinking about like a meetings that you typically have, people are kind of you know, you're thinking, you're in deep thinking, you're not looking at that person the entire time. That doesn't mean that you're not engaged. But when you're on Zoom, it feels like I need to be staring at this person and completely engaged the entire time. So I think one of the, this is like a quick healthy tip, but I mean, tell people that it's okay to turn off your camera from now now and then and just kind of think and be a person, not feel like you have to be, you know, fully engaged as in looking at the screen. And I think, Another, just throwing another tidbit out there, um, using the send later function for your emails. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if, if you want to work into, you know, burn the midnight oil and work into the wee hours of the morning, that's fine. Um, but y- your employees or your colleagues may not feel the same way. And I think it's great if you are the type that you get an idea or you you have a message that you need to communicate right away, that you send it right away so you don't forget about it. That's fine for you. Um, but that doesn't mean that the recipient should receive it at that moment. So definitely using the, the send later option um, in emails more, I think is huge uh, because I can't tell you how many times I get 
10 p.m. emails or 11 p.m. emails on Saturday, Sunday, or even Friday. You know what? On Friday, don't send me an email after 4 p.m. How about that? You know, it's, it's one of those things where if it can wait till Monday, let it wait till Monday and, and you can send it now, but the recipient won't get it until Monday. And, and you can go, you can guard your, your calendar as well. But I, I've gotten responses from people who said, I'm going to be busy during this block of time. I'm going to try and get back to people. And they're, they're not on vacation. It's not an out of office. They're busy. They're making time for themselves to do deep work. The same thing can be done on Slack. You are busy. Mark yourself away. I mean, that's as long as you give people notice, that's like the, that's the biggest thing. As long as you've set expectations, then that's totally fine. I think the problems arise when, you know, people send you an email and there's no response. So I, I think some of these automated ways that you can govern your your calendar um, are really really helpful to set expectations and and, and give yourself and put up boundaries. That's a great point. I mean, setting up the calendar because it's heavily used now, heavily with remote work, where you just go into someone's calendar and see, oh, I see a free slot and you book it. I mean, it goes on the person that owns that calendar to book time off and say, this is my this is my personal time where I'm dedicating work for, like Andres said, deep work, um, high focus work. So you, you have to be in charge of your time and how you, how you assign tasks for yourself um, in your calendar and also give others space to like you know book in but like you had said carly before um i do the same i slack messages are scheduled to not go off office hours and are obviously um going within those nine to five business hours but blocking off time on your calendar like andrea said is is has been revolutionary for me because i do a lot of writing and if i'm in meetings I, i do not have time to research or write or do that deep focus work. So just blocking time off, busy, um, writing, or even using other features within Google Calendar or whatever calendar you use because you can create a to-do list, a task list, and then you um, click things off, you tick things off, and then at least you know you've accomplished so-and-so and whatever's uh, remaining for the ne- rest of the week. So just maximizing the use of the calendar, of course, that's going to be great for collaboration. Absolutely. And and to any law firm managers or any managers of any organization listening, uh, it's important that these habits are seen, you know, to be used and, and enforced from the top because you may tell your employees that it's OK to sign off. Um, but if you send them an 11 p.m. email on a Saturday night, you know, they still panic a little bit and they'll still open it, um, even if you know, you tell them it's okay or it can wait till Monday. Uh, at the same time, you know, just getting that notification. I know I personally, every once in a while, will just delete my Outlook app from my phone altogether um, until it's time to get back to work. And then I'll redownload it, log back in and take it from there. Um, because even with that snooze notification button, sometimes it's so tempting to just open and check your email. Um, so I, I think it's important that you know, as managers, you also practice those healthy habits. So your employees uh, don't feel like even though you've said the words, like they still should be checking uh, their emails and their notifications because otherwise, you know, words are meaningless if, if they are not put into practice. So that's important. And kind of in that similar vein, in the ebook, you make a case for focusing on impact and quality over productivity and quantity. Can you explain that a bit to our listeners and, you know, go into a little more depth? Because when I read that, I thought, oh, it's like, you know, when you think or you see those memes that say this meeting could have been an email. 
there's so many meetings that go on without agendas and like I just wanted to have a conversation and this meeting could have been an email yeah um focus on impact I mean an impact goes on so many different levels well I've got a little something as well like I can can I just jump in jump in okay um you know one one thought I have is uh you know we have a a busy culture that seems to have emerged where you've got all of these different meetings and you're switching between a lot of different tasks and everyone's just, I'm too busy to do this. I'm too busy to do that. And you're getting a lot of dedicated time, but not the amount of dedicated time to do something well and to close a task out. Um, So productivity, you could think about, well, you know, I sent this many emails and, you know, I got this far on, you know, this case and this far in that case. But did you close the thing out that you were working on? Like, did you allot yourself time to do that dedicated time that you need without any interruptions to just close that thing out so that you can move it on to the next person that needs to review it as opposed to it just kind of you creating your people can become bottlenecks on a couple of different fronts doing you know what they think is a ton of work which which is a lot of work but what's the most impactful thing that you can be doing is it to answer that email that just came in because you think it's kind of an emergency or can that thing wait and i need 15 more minutes to close this out so that i can send this on to the next person um and so I think, uh, uh, you know, a lot of different firms, they'll, they'll focus on some sort of KPI or OKR, you know, what are our goals that we're, that we're driving towards? And they'll tie those to just a couple of key metrics that, that they can measure over the course of, you know, kind of a review period so that they're, they're in, feel like they're in the know in terms of the, the most important things. Those are progressing at the clip that they would like. Um, and with all of the communications coming in and all of the meetings getting set, uh, it's important that people recognize the value of closing out certain processes so that they can move, progress a case or matter along to the next person or that next stage. Um, I think that's a, a, a huge thing that gets, you know, productivity gets completed with outcomes and impact. And so I, I think people really want to be thinking about moving forward the most important things and, and sacrificing, you know, some of the uh, speed at which other things are done if it's moving the ball forward on the on those most important uh, on those most important plans. Yeah, there's been a big focus on quantity versus quality during remote work, and we feel like we're not doing much because we get we get overloaded with requests coming in because we can't see the person and we can't see what's on their plate. So it's hard to it's hard to understand. Um, priorities for others and ourselves as well. Like I know I start my day with a to-do list and sometimes I don't even get to it because I get um, other requests come in last minute. And so I have to push my priorities back um, to make space for someone else's priorities. But um, an impact goes in so many ways. So like making sure that I am healthy and happy in what I am doing and delivering and feeling happy about what I'm delivering um, about my productivity. And sometimes it means saying no um, in a way that, Hey, I have, I have my plate full and I have to respect my boundaries. I have to respect my priorities. And I'm not saying no, that I will not do this, but I just need to prioritize um, my workload in a way that helps me and helps you as well. So yeah, it goes, it goes both ways. 
Right. So, so just because your, your employee is not in front of you looking busy, because who's to say that they're actually busy when they're at work? Um, so long as, you know, they're getting the job done, uh, in the grand scheme of things, I think it's, it's huge because one of the main reasons why people want uh, their staff to stay in the office is because, well, I want to make sure I want to see them working. Well, that they may not actually be working, even if they are in the office. Um, so, so long as they get the work done, I think that's important. And I, that's what I see as impact. You know, they're getting the work done. So whether they are busy and engaged around the clock every minute of the day, or maybe they're just really efficient and what takes someone a whole day to do, they can finish in a couple hours. Um, that doesn't mean that they're not having an impact. So I think that that was a huge point to make um, for managers in the ebook. Yeah. So just to close things out, Garima, any additional comments, tips, or best practices for remote and hybrid law firms that you'd like our listeners to know about? I, I just want to say that it's not an easy process. It's not as easy as turning the switch and having everything simplified, ready to go um, when it comes to work. Changing habits takes a long time. And and it, it's three ways. Like, you know, you've got to think about the firm. You've got to think about the lawyer. You've got to think about the client. Um, it's there's so many different layers involved in this. And you also have to illustrate trust in your um, employee when you're delegating these changes that what we are doing is going to benefit you, is going to benefit us, um, and is going to benefit the client. So it's it's not going to be an easy process in the sense that it'll be done in a month. You'll There'll be a lot of learnings as you go along. It may take um, weeks, it may take months, but it's important to have the... Um, to have the staff involved in this process all along the way where you ask them where they're open um, and you have open pathways where they can um, submit feedback that, hey, this isn't working. I don't like this style of communication. I'm getting overloaded with Slack messages. I'm getting overloaded with Zoom meetings. Having those open conversations that you can take in and implement changes based on the feedback, it's going to go keep going on until you have, you know, until you have those formal structures laid out and that's going to take time and that's okay um just having that just having to know that it's going to be okay even if it takes time is going to be the biggest um in my opinion learning to take from remote working um we're still in like the economy is still pretty uncertain right now um there's so many more changes coming on and with existing employees with new employees but just having but just having that within the management system and for the staff that it's okay to um, skip a few things here and there or to not have everything right in the first go is absolutely fine. But to have the goals clear that uh, we are open to remote work is just, just having that thought, I think, is, is a good start. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it looks like we've reached the end of our program. Thank you so much, Karima and Andreas, for joining us today. Thank you so much. Thanks. So we will be linking the ebook and other resources below the podcast description. But if our listeners have any questions, where can they find more Lawyer or Clio resources about remote and hybrid law firms? Absolutely. Um, listeners can go to our website, um, lawyer.com. That's L-A-W-Y-A-W.com. And they can go into our resources section where we have ebooks and articles and um, webinars, environmental calculator, um, stuff like that. So, Or if they want, they could also go to Clio. So C-L-I-O.com. Um, we all share our resources amongst each other. So that's that would be a great um, platform to visit as well. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much. So if you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts. Join us next time for another episode of the Florida Bar's Legal Fuel Podcast brought to you by the Practice Resource Center of the Florida Bar. I'm Carla Eckhart. Until next time. Thank you for listening. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalFuel.com. Don't miss an episode by subscribing to the Florida Bar's podcast via iTunes, Google Podcast, Spotify, and RSS. Find the Florida Bar's Practice Resource Center Legal Fuel on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by the Florida Bar. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.